recorded live from Hong Kong and Toronto. Let's go. This is the PR and Law Podcast. The PR and Law Podcast. Turn it up, turn it up. With your hosts, Cam McMurchy and you and Christy. Welcome to episode 54 of the PR and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Cam McMurchy, along with you and Christy. Hello, Cameron. Ewan's an employment lawyer and partner at Duntroon LLP in Toronto, Canada, and online at duntroon.law. I'm a PR guy based in Hong Kong and publisher of the Digital Bits PR and communications newsletter at digitalbitspr.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend, and you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, everywhere, basically, and our newsletter, too, at prlawpodcast.club. Make sure to uh, sign up for that. You and we got lots to talk about today, but what's happening? How are things going back there? Is uh, is COVID still causing problems? And, and what else is happening in Toronto? Uh, yeah. The short answer is yeah, Cam. Yeah. We're uh, we're about, you know, I'm I've kind of become obsessed with the with the COVID tracker. There's oh, really? a, a government, yeah, it's one of these sort of uh, government websites where it has the vaccination tracker and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm refreshing it like two or three times a day to see where we're at. So, um, we've got 33.405% cam of the Canadian population has received at least one dose. Um, yeah, that's not bad. That's not great. Fast. Well, it's not great, but not bad for one dose. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's somewhat disheartening when you look at our, our friends to the South and you know, they're at, 44% that have had at least one dose and fully vaccinated at 31%. So basically, you know, they're, we're, we're at the same, same place with one, uh, as they are with, um, with, with both shots. So, you know, it's, uh, I'm trying again, it's one of those things you try to just not think about it and get on with your life as best you can. But, um, well, you yeah, know, I think, um, yeah, people are angry because like, I mean, there is a, at the same time, there's so much good news about the vaccine and people getting vaccinated. We're also amid the worst outbreak ever on record for COVID. I mean, India is just reeling at this point. I mean, it's basically a humanitarian disaster there, you know, and we're seeing these, these sort of other strains of COVID spread. It's, it's, it's almost, you know, on the one hand, it's very optimistic, but also, also kind of the worst of it is happening right now too. It's a real juxtaposition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, not bad here. I mean, I'm going in for my second shot a week from today. So, I mean, we will record next week's show just prior to me going in to, uh, to get that. So uh, I can't wait to, to, to finish that off. But I mean, you know what? You know what? You know what's coming up this week, Ewan? It's a it's a pastime in Hong Kong. If people have never been here, they won't know about it. Uh, but we do these so-called junk trips. You know, a junk being a kind of a, a classic uh, Chinese kind of boat, which don't really exist anymore, but we still call them junk trips. Uh, and it's time to head out and uh, go swimming in the South China Sea, have some drinks, have some food on a boat all day long, get some sunshine, do some wakeboarding. Uh, yeah, it's that season here. And the first trip of the season is next uh, Friday. So I can't wait. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, I want to do that. But I can't get on a plane, <laughs> man. I just can't get on a plane. I, th uh. I think we're getting much closer to the day that you can do exactly that. 
Continue the debate with us on social media. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PR Law Podcast. All would word PRLAW Podcast. Send us your questions now by email to askus at PRLawPodcast.com. That's all one word. Ask us at PRLawPodcast.com or on social media with the hashtag PRLawPod. That's hashtag PRLAWPOD. You know, we've got tons of stuff to talk about this week. I think, uh, you know, Basecamp was a big story uh, in both, uh, I guess, for employment law and for PR last week, because there was a bit of a, a bit of an issue with that company. We're going to talk to that, uh, talk about that shortly. But before we do, there's another issue that's come up, Ewan, that you're going to talk about that uh, I think really applies to probably everybody listening to this podcast. Yes, Cam. Yes. The Zoom call. Yep. The camera. Yeah. Do you turn it on or do you turn it off? What's your what's what's your take? So I I usually leave it off because to me, if you're going to turn on the zoom camera, it does mean you have to kind of get up. It means I got to shower and shave and put on a decent shirt and look presentable. Whereas if it's off, I can kind of roll out of bed and just do a do a work call. And so, yeah, it's for my own vanity, probably. But I just I don't really feel like it's necessary at least on the calls that i do uh you know it's mostly just issues based and 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 catching up and comparing notes and seeing where we are on some certain projects or something so i don't like turning the camera on i i feel like it's kind of unnecessary and adds a layer of either complexity or vanity or whatever to to the process that just doesn't need to be there so mark me down as camera off guy yeah you know what i'm i'm with you i'm absolutely firmly 100% in the camera off camp as well for all of the reasons that you mentioned. But, you know, this is a really divisive issue and it's a really sensitive issue for employers as well, because what do you do? You know, if you're trying to have a, a call with a number of your staff and, you know, particularly if it's if it's sort of a call early in the week and you're trying to rally the troops, so to speak, in terms of getting them motivated over the course of the week, that can be a really difficult thing to do as an employer when you're just staring into the abyss. Right. Mm -hmm. I think we've yeah. all sort of been there on our calls where, uh, you know, I know you've we've talked uh, off air cam about some presentations you've you've done. I know I've certainly done a few where. I, I just see these empty boxes and I have nobody's giving me anything back. I don't even know if they can hear me. You know, if there were audio issues, I probably wouldn't know because nobody's letting me know. I can't gauge reaction. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if I'm floundering, if I should stop talking, if I should keep going. All of these things um, go out the window. And it's a really, really frustrating experience. And it's a really difficult one for employers. And a lot of them are kind of left you know, scratching their heads saying, well, what do we do? What can we do? What are our options? Right? Yeah. And I mean, to that point, you know, I did attend a class a couple of weeks ago at Hong Kong University via Zoom. And the instructor said right at the very beginning, can the, you know, can people please turn their cameras on? Because, you know, this is an adult class. I'd like to see you guys and it's better for interaction. And can you please turn it on? And I was, I had my camera off at the time and I thought, oh, this is such a pain, but now he's asking for it. And so now I feel like there's pressure to go do it. And I did, you know, I came into the home office and I turned on the camera and I got everything set up and I was, I was, I was doing that. And then I realized there was only seven of us who had done that out of about 30. And I thought, despite his calls to do this, most people completely ignored him. And I thought about it at that time. I thought, can he, 
make you do this? Maybe not as a, as an instructor, but like, can your boss make you do this? Can your company make you turn this camera on? Uh, and it's a, it's a good question. Yeah. I mean, again, this is like so many things we've talked about. These are the sorts of issues that employers are, are dealing with on the fly and employees as well. Right. Who, you know, we don't really have an established culture around this sort of right. thing. And, and but what's kind of interesting about it is we're trying to sort of extrapolate and incorporate typical cultural notions of conversation and discourse ideas like you know eye contact it's important to look people in the eye when you're communicating with them which again is a very culturally specific notion right from the outset right and you know from that almost as an extension of that goes this idea that well then we should keep the cameras on because that's something equivalent to the idea of the eye contact it's almost an extension of it and perhaps that's some way of maintaining some level of of humanity in these sort of bizarre circumstances we find ourselves in but really i think the point here cam it's communication it's it's all about communication and again the fact that a lot of employers are learning this on the fly makes it tricky but you know if you really want to ensure that your employees are keeping their cameras on you need to communicate that and you need to communicate it in a sort of inoffensive way where you're not singling out individual employees so you know some things you can do there incorporate it as a point of workplace policy and procedural manuals and then advise the employees by email regarding those changes, right? I think that's really, really important and a good starting point. Mm -hmm. And then you can sort of have, you know, have a senior HR rep or a manager send employed emails, kind of informing them at that point that the expectation during Zoom calls is that the cameras remain on. And, you know, and this is where you can sort of get into those those areas of of HR speak that's vetted by people like you, Cam, or, you know, something <laughs> mm-hmm. where really the focus and you've got to keep it positive, right? This is all about trying to facilitate effective communication yeah. during the calls, right? And team building, that sort of thing. You want to be able to converse and see your colleagues. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think if it's communicated that way, look, are your are employees going to like it? No, of course, they're they're, they're not going to like the idea of of having to keep a camera on. But I think if at least it's framed in that way, it's a good starting point. And, you know, then from there, if if things remain problematic for certain employees, then at that point, you can kind of follow up with, again, a general email addressed to everybody saying, hey, just a reminder, you know, this is a new point of policy. And, you know, if it continues to be an issue with individual employees, then, you know, you can kind of contact them specifically and say, you know, are, are there any issues that we can help you with mm-hmm. in terms of the camera thing? Because there needs to be some particular accommodation in this regard, right? We're not all in the same situation. We don't all have the luxury, for example, of having space Mm -hmm. in our home where Mm -hmm. we have privacy for a call. And I think these are really, really important considerations to keep in mind when you're trying to incorporate some sort of broad catch-all policy. It's not necessarily going to be able to catch all um, given the particular circumstances of, of the employees at, at your shop, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, announcing kind of a policy or, or putting out the expectation and being clear about the fact, you know, that the employers want the cameras on. 
obviously is, is a really good first step. And I do think that if, if a lot of employees follow that, there is kind of a peer pressure side to it. You don't want to be the only person not having your camera on either. I mean, you'll turn it on pretty quickly uh, if everyone else has their camera on. So I, I think that's, that's part of it. But on, on the space issue, you and I, I guess, you know, I understand if employers ask for this or if at the start of the meeting, whoever's chairing the meeting asks for this, is it something they can demand? And I, I guess it is because it's, I mean, they're your employer, right? I mean, this goes to everything that we talk about on this show. They can ask you to do all kinds of things, you know, within a reason of which I would say the camera being on is within reason, especially if you normally were working in the office and now you're working from home. It seems like a reasonable expectation to turn the camera on. But but is this the kind of thing that really can be enforced or does the employee have some grounds here to say, like, look, I, I, I. I don't have much space or I don't have much privacy here or this isn't I don't feel comfortable with the camera on, you know, and I, and I don't want to do that. Is there any dispensation kind of under the law for that kind of thing? I mean, yeah, their employers have certain duties and obligations with regard to accommodation. Right. And again, most of those typically go back to things that we we see that are protected grounds uh, under the human rights code. So anything that might fall under a protected ground of discrimination around, you know, race, age, disability, sexual orientation, these sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, there is an obligation on employers to accommodate those employees that require obligation where I accommodation where this is sort of a unique situation cam is some of those more peripheral issues, the gray areas, right? So let's take sort of a hypothetical and, and it's a very real hypothetical. Let's say, you know, you're, um, you're a father, you're working at home and you're taking care of two or three young children and you've got a, a dog and mm-hmm. you live in a, you live in a 500 square foot apartment because these are very real situations that people are dealing with. You know, should that, father in that situation be obliged to keep his camera on you know i think under that specific circumstance could an employer say you got to do it sure i mean i guess they could but is that really in the best interest of the kind of culture you'd want to try and nourish and develop um and nurture at your at your company and i would say probably not so yeah there are always going to be these situations that you're going to have to deal with on a case-by-case basis even if you do want to create sort of a broader policy that says look we understand people are 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 dealing with difficult situations and that this is by no stretch of the imagination quote unquote normal. That being said, where possible, we would like people to be respectful of those of of their fellow colleagues during work calls and try and keep their cameras on because you know what? It does help facilitate effective communication. We know that most of our our cues for the brain are visual ones. So let's try and make that a little bit easier for employees as opposed to just staring into this, you know, black abyss on a, on a group call. Right. Yeah. This is one of those things I'd love to hear from our listeners too, because I'm sure this has come up for almost everybody at some point, um, especially a year into this pandemic now and with working from home so common and zoom, you know, basically, you know, becoming the term that means video chat or video conference. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear what other what other companies have done or what other people have done to sort of manage this this situation. So, yeah, if 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 anyone wants to share that with us, just tag us PR Law Pod on Twitter, and uh, and we can we can come back to it on the next show. 
Just quickly, Kim, you know, yep. the only other issue is, of course, socioeconomic, right? That we're also making assumptions, you know, we, even in the hypothetical we talked about, we're making assumptions that people have the internet capabilities right. and the hardware and mm-hmm. the computer software to be able to even engage in remote work over Zoom to participate in these calls. And the reality is, is that in a lot of circumstances, that's simply not the case. And that, again, goes to situations where employers need to be cognizant of these issues and they need to accommodate where accommodations required. That just occurred to me, actually, when you brought this up. I, you know, some businesses will give you a laptop or a phone, right? But I don't think that's the the majority still. I think most people still... You know, just regular working class people go into the office and and log in or whatever and and, and do their work. I I bet employers have saved so much money on cost of equipment because I, I think a lot of people who are working from home, as you say, are probably relying on either their home computer or their home laptop or their home webcam, their home internet connection, which they're paying for themselves. Yeah, that, I, I don't know why I hadn't considered that before, but that seems like kind of a big deal too, a big win for employers. Well, yeah, and I mean, and the, the government has, has sort of helped address this issue in trying to provide, you know, new tax write-offs for, for families. But again, you know, I mean, this is sort of drop in the bucket stuff. And I don't want to go off on too much of a mm-hmm. tangent yeah. here, Cam, but even outside of the employer-employee relationship, this is also a very real issue for remote education, right? Families where you've got three and four kids in a small home and everybody is trying to homeschool over Zoom because schools are closed and everybody dealing with that remotely again infrastructure what you know do you have the luxury of having enough devices for all of the children at home at the home to engage and log on to school do you have the bandwidth for your internet i mean all of this stuff these are very very real issues cam that people are are struggling with that again a lot of people just turn a blind eye they just assume hey i've got great high speed internet and they don't even think about these issues but this is very real stuff that people are dealing with every single day um, for as long as this, you know, craziness around this pandemic continues. Show your support to the PR and law podcast by making a one-time donation or setting up a subscription with us on Patreon. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and bring the show to you each week. If you'd like to chip in, please visit prnlawpodcast.com. That's prnlawpodcast.com. Click support the show. Thanks for helping us out. One of the more fascinating issues this week, Ewan, was what happened at Basecamp. And I know that you had flagged this as well uh, as something to talk about kind of from from an employment law point of view. And yeah, I, I think yeah, I did a ton of reading on this. I guess I guess you did too, hey, because it was pretty interesting. <laughs> I, sh- I sure did. I sure did. And then, of course, in real time um, was watching, you know, the slew of resignations over Twitter. I mean, yeah. I, I, I can't think, I'm sure something like that's happened before. I've never actually experienced a cam, but anyway, I'll, I'll let you give the, give the backstory before we get there. Yeah. I'll try and I'll try and keep it brief. So, I mean, for those who aren't aware, Basecap, Basecamp is, uh, it's basically productivity software, um, but it's a SaaS business, software as a service. Um, and basically they, they provide a, an internet based, uh, productivity suite where you can you know track projects and chat with colleagues and that kind of thing. But it's meant for small business or medium-sized businesses, and and they've done very well. Um, just last year, they announced a new email product called Hey, 
which is one that I have been using and quite enjoying the kind of rethought email. So it's, it's a, it's a forward thinking company, or I thought it was a forward thinking company. Um, and the two founders are both quite charismatic and they're both quite um, public uh, in what they do. So David Heinemeyer Hansen is, is one of the founders and Jason Freed is the other. And they've taken very high profile stances on issues and they're often out uh, in the media and they're often blogging on, on issues on, on the company website. So it's, it's a very active company, I would say, sort of in, in those kinds of issues. Anyway, it's, a, it's also a small company. There's only 57, or rather there were 57 or 58 people working there, counting those two founders. So it's not exactly a, a large, you know, Fortune 500 company or anything like that. But last week, Ewan, the founders of this company decided to create a new policy at work, which is no more discussion of political or societal issues on workplace communication channels. And to be clear, the workplace communication channel they're referring to is their own, which is Basecamp. That is how they communicate with each other. And the founders no longer want the sort of political or society societal issues to be discussed uh, in those channels. Those were not the only changes, though. Uh, there were actually a few things that were, that were uh, explained in one of the, the blog posts in addition to that, which is no more paternalistic benefits, quote-unquote. Um, they no longer want to offer uh, a wellness allowance, a farmer's market share, no more continuing education allowances. And they phrased it this way, quote, they felt good at the time, but we've had a change of heart. It's none of our business what you do outside of work, and it's not Basecamp's place to encourage certain behaviors, regardless of good intention. By providing funds for certain things, we're getting too deep into nudging people's personal, individual choices. So we've ended these benefits, and they will pay each employee the full cash value of the benefits for this year, and they launched a, a profit-sharing plan in its place. Uh, no more committees. They've canceled all the committees. Uh, among them was the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, which had just formed in February. That is to be disbanded. No more lingering or dwelling on past decisions. And then number five, you and this relates to HR in a big way, no more 360 reviews. I think, again, people on this podcast probably know what that is, uh, but basically it's when you're doing a performance review or appraisal and you're getting feedback from people below you, your peers, those above you, uh, to get a complete look at sort of how your performance has gone. So these, these are, I think each of these is probably worth a discussion, but today... The main focus here really is on the issue over these political and societal uh, discussions. Is this how you see it, Ewan? Yeah, this is this is just a mess from so many different angles, Cam. Um, I you know I really want to tip my hat to Casey Newton, mm -hmm. who's a writer. He did a long form piece on platformer on this. We'll put I, we'll put it in the show notes. I highly encourage people to to check it out. It really digs into the story. He interviewed a number of the employees, really, really fantastic piece. And, and I learned that, you know, this whole sort of debacle actually goes back over a decade and sort of started with a number of customer service reps who were keeping a list of customer names that they found funny titled best names ever. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that, that Casey Newton sort of uh, describes this, nobody would really give specific examples other than to say it was sort of Simpsons-esque, Simpsons-esque, you know, where Bart 
calls Mo at the bar and asks to speak with Seymour Butts, um, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. And fast forward over a decade and, you know, a number of employees who were familiar with this list, they were really, really uncomfortable about it. And they started talking about it on the, you know, the internal chat forums. And they were arguing that, you know, there should be some accountability on the company's part and the company needs to do more to advance diversity, equity and, conclu- and inclusion at the company. And that, as I understand, Cam, or at least as, as Casey Newton um, talks about, that was what prompted the comments from the two executives. And again, they're really interesting. I was very curious to get your take on just the writing style where very clearly, you know, particularly in, in Freed's post where he comes right out and he says, you know, this comes from, this comes from me and this comes from David. They're very, very clear the way it's written. It doesn't read like PR communication speak at all. It's very, very direct. Um, but I think for, for the purposes of our, of our, for our listeners and just to give context, you know, I think that the, the quote cam from Freed's post is sort of interesting. I'd, I'd like to read it. Um, yeah, it's go just ahead. a few sentences. So this is the one on, you know, the bullet point number one, right? No more societal and political discussions in our company base camp account. This is what he actually said about that quote. Today's social and political waters are especially choppy sensitivities are at 11 and every discussion remotely related to politics, advocacy, or society at large quickly spins away from pleasant. You shouldn't have to wonder if staying out of it means you're complicit or wading into it means you're a target. These are difficult enough waters to navigate in life, but significantly more so at work. It's become too much. It's a major distraction. It saps our energy and redirects our dialogue toward dark places. It's not healthy. It hasn't served us well. And we're done with it on our company base camp account where the work happens. People can take the conversations with willing coworkers to signal WhatsApp or even a personal base camp account, but it can't happen where the work happens anymore. End quote. He what is, do you think? What do you think, Cam? Because I read that and I was just chomping at the bit to get your take on it. Well, so I, again, I'm familiar with Jason Freed to begin with. I, you know, I, I watched a long video that he recorded last year uh, about email, and he's a very outspoken, opinionated guy. And actually, I appreciate his uh, his forthrightness in his writing. I I think. My issue there is almost right at the halfway point is where I kind of fall off because I I agree with him on the first part of that, which is these are difficult times. These are difficult issues. People feel strongly about them. It's making things complicated. I, I don't think there would be much disagreement on that. But then in the second half, he draws his own conclusions about what to do about that. And that's where I kind of fall off the bus because – they're conclusions that I don't think are universally drawn from those issues. I think they're ones that he has drawn from those issues. And I, I want to get into actually the communication side of it, Ewan, because I, I think that part is is absolutely fascinating. But I will say this issue came up on the uh, Pivot podcast. You and I have talked about the Pivot podcast before. It's got Kara Swisher from the New York Times and Fox and Scott Galloway, the NYU marketing professor who's got quite a, quite a following these days. And they dealt with this issue just the other day, in fact. And I'm going to cue up Scott Galloway first, um, because I thought his take was quite 
interesting, and I guess I was a little bit surprised, but here's what he had to say. I do think there's people out there that don't live and breathe politics and want to yes. go to work and create economic security for them and their families Certainly. and have good relationships with their colleagues and not find out that the guy or gal next to him is a Trumper or really uh, far far left and start and bring that bullshit to work. I do think that there's a lot of people that say, I get it. But if a few companies decide that, you know what, we are about, we are a fantastic legal entity where we bring human resources together and intellectual property to help all of us create economic security for us and our families such we can put food on the table. And then on evenings and weekends, if you want to go to a Bernie or a QAnon rally, that's your business. Right. But we're not going to be in that business. What do you think, Ewan? Look, you know, very. that's one take on it. I don't, I don't think Galloway is wrong. And look, if an employer wants to take a position and say, look, we're not going to, we're not going to provide a forum or a platform for employees to discuss these particular issues. Cool. Fine. You can do it. There's nothing that prevents you or precludes you from doing that. But understand that in this climate, particularly in an industry where the majority of your employees are likely under the age of 50 or 45, they're going to take issue with that. (laughs) And that's fine if that's the particular culture you want to nurture and develop at your company. But understand, there are going to be repercussions to that. And whether you want to refer to the individuals who are going to come at you as, you know, the woke mob or the social justice warriors or whatever sort of, you know, negative connotations that, uh, you know, certain individuals may wish to apply to them. It doesn't change the fact that it's going to have very significant and severe repercussions to your business. So, you know, if you want to have open forum and open discourse around these issues at your company, cool. Um, then that becomes part of your brand. And this company is clearly chosen. No, we don't want any part of that and consequences be damned. And frankly, well, we're seeing what the consequences are, Cam. There's, the, you know, the fallout has been swift and severe, unlike anything I've seen in recent memory, actually. This is just, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, I think that's why this issue is so fascinating to me, is actually there are a lot of different layers to this, and there's a lot of different angles and a lot of background to consider. Because I think, you know, one part of this is the idea of bringing, you know, your whole self to work. And, you know, I guess I'm a person that doesn't do that. But I know a lot of people do do that. And I feel like there is a I think especially in the United States in 2021, I think people do consider bringing their whole selves into work as something that is normal and appropriate. And so I think there is an adjustment here to kind of, I don't want to say a new generation, but there's, there's kind of a new way of, of thinking about this. And that's an issue sort of involved wrapped up in this too. Now, Kara Swisher uh, basically argued that what's happened here has is, is it was inevitable because you know staff have been encouraged to speak up on a wide range of issues for quite a while now, including at base camp. I mean, you and you mentioned that they've made a decision not to not to discuss these issues. They have as of last week, uh, but prior to that, they had been one of the companies that were promoting people to talk about this the most. And so she said, you know, that the 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 managers and the founders of these companies kind of bear a little bit of responsibility here. Here's what she had to say. 
they've raised a generation of people saying, talk all you want. And when you don't, uh, when they decided it got a little too tiresome for them, when it made them slightly uncomfortable and, and, and they were starting to discover things about hiring and salaries and stuff like that, they wanted them to shut up. Which is kind of what has happened, I think. Now, you and I want to get right to the, the PR issue because, you know, there's obviously some background there that, that, that we've, we've gone through. And, you know, we always say, like, what, what, is a, what is a PR person's job? Like, what is the comms person supposed to do? And, you know, I think at, at, its, at, at the root, it really is to protect the brand reputation and promote the brand as well. But mainly, number one, you want to make sure that you that, that your brand has the reputation that you think it should have. Uh, that the ownership has that is that is commensurate with the objectives and the business and and the priorities and all of that but that doesn't necessarily mean that you will avoid negative press at all cost i think this confuses people sometimes i think maybe it's a little bit the same in in law you and where you can come up to a client or in this case, executives, and say, if you do this, there's going to be backlash against your company. That you know, like you said, that's just the fact, right? Like they they can go ahead and do this, but there's going to be fallout. And then the executives of Basecamp don't need to take that advice. I mean, they have to decide what they want to do, right? And and I think in this case, they did expect blowback. I don't know if they've expected as much as they've received. But they did decide to go ahead and make this policy change. As you said, Ewan, a lot of people have resigned. Uh, at last count, I saw 20 of, of 57 or 58 people. About a third of the of the staff uh, have resigned already. On the positive side, I do commend Jason and David for having the courage of their convictions. I think doing something like this is difficult. And I do think they had their eyes open. And I do think this is what they genuinely believe. And I think far too infrequently do founders or company leaders, you know, lead, you know, with the courage of their conviction. So I, I certainly applaud that. And there's no vindictiveness here either about the leaving colleagues. So, you know, after this all broke, they posted another item to the website, which said this, quote, Yesterday, we offered everyone at Basecamp an option of a severance package worth up to six months salary for those who've been with the company over three years and three months salary for those at the company less than that. No hard feelings, no questions asked. For those who cannot see a future at Basecamp under this new direction, we'll help them in every which way we can to land somewhere else. So that tells me that they decided to go down this path. They knew there was going to be blowback. They would try and take the high road and just go do it. And they are. Now, <laughs> the fallout. I think you and the question here at the root of all of this is, is it okay to shut down political discussion at work? Or is shutting down uncomfortable discussions a privilege? Because the very issues being raised are about diversity and inclusion. Jason and David, as two white males, may not be impacted by these issues directly. Thus, their decision to shut it down so quickly. So if employees are facing discrimination or inequality at work, shutting down the discussion only serves to reinforce that status quo, whatever that might mean for that individual. 
And I think that's the crux of the problem here and why some people felt so strongly about the decision that they made. Uh, Yes, absolutely. And this is actually a specific issue that Casey Newton addresses in his long form post. I mean, one of the individuals that he interviews is a data analyst um, named Jane Yang. And she said to, to Newton that she was concerned that restricting internal conversations would negatively affect diversity and inclusion efforts at the company. And she gave an example. She said, you know, the company's profit sharing plan gave more profits to people who have longer tenure, a group that is majority white and male, and that making discussions off limit internally could ensure that inequality and profit sharing becomes a structural feature of the company. You know, I think these are very real issues. I think also something that seems to have fallen by the wayside was that this whole kerfuffle, again, emerged around this best names ever list. And both Freed and Hennermeyer Hansen have acknowledged that they have known for years about the existence of this list and didn't do anything about it. And I think it's somewhat telling that both of their letters, because Hennemeyer Hansen also issued a, a statement not long after Freed's, um, where, you know, again, in the tone and message is very much consistent um, with what Freed had to say around political discourse and discussions. But neither one of their statements makes any reference or any mention to this list, which was, again, sort of the boiling point that led to all of these issues in the first place. And I think that that's quite telling. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I read it a little bit differently. Uh, the list clearly was what maybe drew attention to this in the first place. But over the last year, there's a long list of issues that people have complained about related to diversity and inclusion. So the, the list may have been a catalyst, but I, I, I didn't see that as a, a key point really in this beyond that. Because there were a lot of other things that, that, that the staff had concerns about as well. But I, listen, there is something to really make clear here. That, and I think people kind of confuse this sometimes, which is I, I, I want to talk about this from a PR perspective, right? Rather than a what, you know, what is the, the right thing to do or what is the morality around the issue? I think uh, from a PR angle, that can kind of be uh, a, a rocky road to go down there. You know, if 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 I'm at the if I'm at base camp and the two founders came to me and said, "Look, you know, th- this this these discussions on these issues are going uh, out of control and it's impacting productivity in the company and it's it's a distraction." You know, my advice would not have been to just shut everything down. I mean, that seems almost like a defensive or scared kind of response. And I know they've 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 you know couched it as something to refocus the company. I think they could have refocused the company. Indeed, I think there's ways around allowing these discussions in certain ways, and just making sure that the work is also getting done. I think there's a very easy middle ground here that I'm sure could have could have been found. So from a PR perspective, that would be my uh, that would have been my advice in that situation. However, the fact that they went forward with it, I don't necessarily disagree with either just because they really they they have I mean this is what they believe, right? It's it's very difficult for me to say they should have done something else. It ultimately from a PR perspective, they should have done something else, but I would also say that founders and leaders of companies should direct the company in the way that they want to, and they have that right to do so. And there is that side of it that I do kind of respect. And I think 
you know, I, I've talked about the exchange, you know, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange where I worked before you and a few times on this show. And the fact that our chief executive, and I, I remember sitting in, in meetings with him and, and, you know, we would bring up issues where we would say, you know, if you say this or if you do this, you know, we are going to get blowback in the market. We're going to get blowback in the press. And he would say, that's fine because this is the right thing to do and we can take it. And I do... I, I do admire that approach. I actually think more businesses should probably look at things that way, which is, you know, who are you? What do you stand for? What do you want to be? What do you want to be known as? You know, what are the values of this company? And then go forward um, with it, provided they're not super extreme, obviously. Um, so, so, so there's that side to it too. Uh, but I think it's going to be really interesting to you and what happens from here, because yeah, a, a third of their, their staff have, have resigned already. Uh, and this is not a big company, as I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like they've got, you know, all the money in the world, though they are doing well. Uh, and I think the fallout from this will be seen for a while. Yeah, I, I think the thing that I really struggle with here, Cam, is that we're talking about a company that has not been shy about taking political positions in the past, right? And then encouraging their 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 employees to sort of um, openly discuss those political issues. And I think that optically, at least from a PR perspective, would be something that I would be genuinely concerned about. That if status quo is that, yes, we take political positions on controversial issues and we discuss them openly. And then when an issue comes up that is executives, we don't necessarily agree with, or we disagree with, with the pushback that we're getting from employees in terms of, you know, pressure to advance more diversity, equity, and inclusion at the company. We all of a sudden just shut it down because the message you can very you know readily take from that is we're cool about talking about political issues as long as they're political issues that we believe in as executives and i think that's problematic um Although, I, I mean it I, looks like they've shut that down too though i i don't think any political issues are to be discussed under this policy as far as i i, I read it I, no, 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 I, I, no, no. And you're absolutely right. What I'm saying is that that policy wasn't introduced until someone asserted a position or an argument or a group of employees asserted a particular political position or argument that clearly the employers took issue with on some level. If they didn't take issue with it, there wouldn't have been a need to shut it all down in its entirety anyway. Right. And even if that wasn't the case, optically it's very very easy to draw that conclusion and i think that's part of why they found themselves in such a difficult position yeah i i think it's hard to say i i like i this isn't i mean the issues brought up this year are not the first time issues have been brought up inside base camp on diversity and inclusion so i don't feel like someone had an opinion contrary to the founders and they shut it down that's what happened at the macro level but i think on the micro level there, there have been discussions for a, a while so it didn't happen immediately or suddenly as soon as somebody had a, a position that way but but i i do think that there is and i've seen this in the coverage and you kind of touched on it this sort of confusion between a company taking a political stance and the employees taking one and i, I think these are two entirely different things to me they're they're related i suppose in a way but I think it's quite common, actually, for companies to say this is something that we stand for as, as a company, but that employees might 
go off and do something different. Actually, I think that's that's very common. In fact, you know, if you look at a, a company like Apple, for instance, they're, they're really big on diversity inclusion as well. But individuals are free to go do or get involved with 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 what they would like, provided it doesn't draw negative attention to to the company. So. That, th- th- those are sort of separate separate issues. But regardless, Ewan, do you think this is something that more employers are going to consider? I know that the situation in Canada is not as charged as the situation in the United States, but do you see this becoming a trend? Because Coinbase uh, actually was the first company that we're aware of that did this uh, last year. So Basecamp is kind of the second. So two have gone down this path, but do you think others will too? Yeah, I think I think they will. Um, I don't think this issue is going away. And I think it's probably going to continue to sort of um, develop and, uh, and and boil over with other companies such that they're going to have to take a position and address it. And one thing I liked that you you said, Cam, is regardless of what you whether you support or oppose the position that Basecamp has taken, at least they've taken a position. And, and I, and I do sort of agree with you in that regard. We've talked a lot about on this show, particularly um, around the the black lives matter movement, where there's been no shortage of corporations that have stepped up and made these sort of lukewarm lip service, you know, toe the party line, walk right down the middle on the issue. Um, and I, I don't really think that there's any value in doing that either. And you know what, the individuals who are pushing for more, you know, greater diversity in corporate environments, more equity, more inclusion, they can, I mean, they can smell it, right? They know, they know that that is just a line and Mm -hmm. that it's paying lip service to a cause. I don't really think that that does companies any, any, good service either. So if you're going to take a position, at least dig in, own that position and have it reflected in your policies and procedures as a company, have it reflected in your hiring practices, regardless of what it is, make sure it's a top down structure that you can see at every level of the company, because at least that way, when you're looking at that company as a prospective employee, you can understand and recognize it for what it is, and then make a clear and informed choice as to whether or not that's the kind of environment you want to work in. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Check this out. Whoa, hey, check this out. No, no, wait, wait. Check it out, check it out. I want you to check this out. On the PR and Law Podcast. What do you got, dog? I've got Harper's article, Cam, the uh, the cover story of uh, the most recent edition of, of Harper's Magazine is an article called Sign of the Times, mm. Caliphate and the Perils of Reporting Online. Oh. Um, this is a long form article by James Harking. It's an incredible, incredible piece, Cam. Again, you know, we, we talk about this on the show every now and then, just the value of real, exceptional, quality, long form journalism. This is one of those pieces that is up there. Um, it talks about, obviously, the now debunked New York Times podcast, Caliphate, by yeah. uh, Rukmini Kalamachi yeah. and just how that whole debacle went down and Harkin speaks with everybody that you would want to speak with in covering the story. He digs and digs and digs and it's a real eye opener cam. And what happens when you have 
you know, sort of this, this upper echelon of rock star journalists and how, you know, some of the typical rules and procedures of journalism don't really apply to them and how that is a problem and how, you know, caliphate is sort of a really, really, it's a real cautionary tale in what journalists need to watch out for in doing their work. Yeah, I am aware of that situation. I have been following it. Uh, I will absolutely check this out too because, yeah, everything you just said is is bang on. Um, I, I'm going to share one that uh, your your wife uh, retweeted you in when I pushed it out on Twitter, um, and it is a story about the vaccines, and it's called the hot person vaccine. The internet has decided that Pfizer is significantly cooler than Moderna. But why? <laughs> and um, this was in the Atlantic. It is interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm outside of the sort of cultural sphere of the U.S. being over here in Asia, so I don't see as much of this. But I did kind of pick up on this a bit. And sort of the, the, the article kind of talks about the Pfizer superiority complex. Um, and there was one quote in here uh, that says, uh, quote, one of my cousins got Moderna. And I was like, that's OK. We need a strong middle class. And I thought, yeah, this is <laughs> this is about uh, about bang on. And is there kind of a uh, it's tongue in cheek, clearly. Um, but at the same time, there's kind of a little thread of actual maybe uh, elitism or coolness or 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 stra- a class uh, strata or class structure underneath some of this. But it's a it's a funny it's a funny article. I mean, like one of the things is is um, you know Pfizer's considered. Uh, higher class because it sounds expensive. Many high-end fashion brands are named after people like Pfizer is Fendi, Prada, Kenzo. Uh, many are two syllables. Um, you know the the F and the Z sounds uh, also kind of make something sound fast and and uh, and high-end. So all of these kinds of things. It is a funny article. It's worth a read. Anything about the pandemic that's kind of funny, I think, is uh, is needed in these moments. That's great. Well, and we talked about this last week, Cam, here in Canada, the AstraZeneca drug vaccine that was just open to all the Gen Xers, largely because the boomers were saying, oh, but, you know, it's got a lower efficacy rate and there's blood clot issues. And as a result, they basically opened up the AstraZeneca drug to individuals 40 and over and Gen X stepped up and they're like, bring it bring it. We will take it. Boomers get out of the way. We're all in. We don't care. We've been raised on pop tarts and young and the restless and played in treacherous playgrounds and leaded gasoline and leaded paint. You name it. We'll take that sweet, sweet AstraZeneca drug any day. Yeah, that one. I, yeah. AstraZeneca is a legit one. This is really looking at Moderna and uh, Pfizer mainly because they're the MRNA drugs, but it does also say that if if Moderna Moderna it, it, like if you're a good and modern drug you don't call yourself Moderna which also kind of puts that uh, <laughs> that's a great point I hadn't yeah, thought about that uh, so that that comes up in here too and uh, it basically says Johnson and Johnson is what's being used on homeless people which is not well that is true but it's also an excellent drug but anyway it's worth a read I'll put a link in the show notes you and uh, we got to wrap up uh, what any anything else you want to you want to add no, that's it. Great show. Great, great chat. Good discussion. Um, would love to hear the feedback from the listeners. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining us. Don't miss a show. You can subscribe in your podcast app of choice or to our YouTube or SoundCloud channels. And of course, the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and newsletter at PRLawPodcast.club. For you and this is Cam. Light it up. 
This has been the PR and Law Podcast with Cam McMurchy and Ewan Christie. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or leave a review. You can also join us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by following our account at PR Law Podcast. That's all one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Thanks for your support.